Welcome to the Homeschool Show, dedicated to viewing home education and all aspects of life through the prism of God's Word. Thousands of families are experiencing the educational freedoms and challenges of teaching their own children at home. Now here's your host, veteran teacher, homeschooling dad, author, speaker, award-winning film producer, and president of Piedmont Education Services, Greg Munger. Well, welcome to the Homeschool Show. I'm glad you're with us today. I'm Greg Munger, your host here on The Homeschool Show, where we're talking about home education, and along the way, we're looking at all of life through the prism of God's Word. Don't forget, if you ever want to contact us, listen to our previous shows, any of the podcasts, they're always available, or even ask a question of us or one of our experts, our guests, you can do so on the web at thehomeschoolshow.net. In our last program, we were talking with Misty Spinelli, author, teacher, bookstore owner, test administrator, curriculum counselor. Wife and mother, homeschooling mother of uh, six children. I called her super mom. She denies it. Uh, <laughs> but we've been talking about homeschooling in the preschool and elementary years. Misty, thanks for being on again with us today. Thanks, Greg. Where we ended our last show, and by the way, uh, if you folks listening want to get that podcast or listen to it, go back to our website, thehomeschoolshow.net. But we were talking about the approach, really, of uh, overall, the general approach to preschool and elementary years was to instill a love of learning, the joy of learning, everything that God has for us to learn about, to be flexible, not rigid, not to have uh, way out of line expectations, especially when the children were young. Use the mechanics of curriculum, certainly, but to be uh, flexible. But Misty, one thing you mentioned was that uh, the world's expectations are not necessarily correct. I think that that's hard for even those of us who know that they're not. We've chose to not go down the school route because we see that's not working and obviously not the best way to educate our children. Yet we're surrounded by people who say, you know, your child should be reading well at six years old, and then you've got one who's not. And it's really hard to not feel that pressure to try to force them to learn to read or to get upset about it or, you know, whatever is the negative reaction to that. But <laughs> yeah. as moms, we tend to do that. Um, but we just have to keep telling ourselves that where is that written, that, that <laughs> that's supposed to happen? I just try to provide moms with all these statistics that help that say the average age to learn to read is eight. If your child doesn't learn to read until 12, he's still okay. There are uh, examples of lots and lots of people, uh, the Quine family who wrote Making Math Meaningful and some other curriculum. Their yes. firstborn son did not read until he was 12. Wow. But the first three books he read was the Lord of the Ring trilogy. <laughs> There's something was not wired up right, but his mom had laid such a good yeah. foundation, and they had read and read and read so much great literature. She just kept raising the bar on what she was reading. And so that when it all finally made sense to him, then he really wasn't behind. Within wow. just a few months, he was on his reading level. And that young man is a lawyer today. He hit the ground running. Wow. He hit the ground running. Never but stopped. Here's, here's the side to that is if that child had been in a school system, by third or fourth grade, they'd have given up on him, labeled him as a dummy, stuck right. him in the other class, quit teaching him how to read. You see what I'm saying? But the beauty of homeschooling then is that you can help your child you don't have to exactly follow all the state and or teacher guidelines and right. not make those expectations of the world necessarily because yours. Because they're assuming your child is average, and since there's not an average child on the planet, their assumption is wrong. <laughs> <laughs> in other words, kids aren't the same. Uh, as I said in the last show, they're as different as pistachio ice cream and pepperoni pizza. That's right. Yuck. <laughs> 
And uh, it's they, they all develop on their own personal timetables. Exactly. Well, in today's show, I want to talk, uh, have you talk more about uh, the various approaches to help do this, to help instill that love of learning. What kind of approach can you use to, well, maybe not let people put you in their box, certainly going right. to pray, pray for wisdom. Let's talk about some of those approaches. Of, okay. Uh, since the kids aren't all the same, there's not all the same approaches, are there? Right, right. Um, and I oftentimes talk about what all these different philosophies of education, if you want to call them, are, and people say, well, which one's the best? And there really isn't a best. Not I'm a sure best. there's people who believe there are, you know, people who really, really believe the one they use is the best. But <laughs> I don't necessarily believe that because I think there's the best one for you this year for that child. Um, and I think that can change. I think that, and I have to think that because mine has <laughs> over the years. Ours so, have, sure. You know, because as your situation changes, the philosophy of how you're going to accomplish this, you know, huge task of educating your children in front of you has to change with that scenario. Some of the the philosophies that um, are most appealing to mothers of young children, preschooler, kindergarten, early elementary, are the ones that are more fun. Uh, that tends to be the things that we, we do look for. Unit studies is a really fun way to teach a lot of stuff to really young kids all together. Uh, they're not each one going off and doing their own thing. You're learning as a family. So that's, that has a lot of appealing uh, thing, elements to it. So in other uh, words, if the family goes to the beach, uh, then you can study right. in your homeschool about all the stuff at the beach. Right. You go to the library beforehand. You check out all the books on shells and fish and seashore life and, um, you know, two or three literature books to read that are about, you know, adventures that take place at the beach or whatever, you know. And and so you load yourself down and you have your literature study, you have your science study, you have your history study of, you know, where you are. Um, and, and so the kids just think they're learning about being at the beach and they may not realize they've done history and science and language arts and, <laughs> you know. Um, and, and that is very easy to pull off if you are creative and very flexible, but a lot of moms, think that they're not. Okay, that was one of my questions. What's yeah. the disadvantage of the <laughs> Well, unit the study? disadvantages are you can also do unit studies that are planned out for you. Okay. You've got the advantage of something planned um, and structured to go by, but the still that philosophy of children learn better if, if everything's sort of interconnected uh, and it's making more sense and it's not so workbooky, you know, oriented. And I do think kids learn that way really well because that's really what causes us to learn as adults is when we have an interest in something sure. and we start delving into it from a lot of different directions. We may write about it. We may read about it. We may watch a DVD on it. We may go to a lecture on it. Uh, we come at things from lots of different directions. Yeah, that's um, the way people learn. You, that's how people learn. The, so, because of what they do. Exactly. So you can get units there at the studies that are just totally done for you by very wise and wonderful women who can, you know, who can think of things for you to say to your kids you couldn't think yourself. So <laughs> there's nothing wrong with that. Don't feel like that's a cop-out way to do unit studies. It's a really good way to utilize that philosophy uh, and yet not feel like you have to be the, oh, I can do this off the top of my head, you know, person. Um, another thing that uh, I highly recommend that all parents do, regardless of the purity of their philosophy, is to use what we call living books in, in their daily life. Uh, that's a term Charlotte Mason developed. She was an educator in Victorian England time who wrote 
several books, one of which is called Home Education and is sort of considered the the beginnings of the homeschool movement that, that began as the public school movement began, sort of side by side. But um, she said that all things that you need to learn come out of great living books. And a living book would be an inspiring book. It would be written by someone, one person who is excited and passionate about the subject they're writing about, not not a textbook that's been written by committee and it's just full of a bunch of facts. You know, that would be the difference there. Right. But your classical literature, your historical fiction, your biographies and autobiographies and tons of, uh, well, used to be lots and lots of nonfiction was written that way. Now nonfiction a lot of times tends to be in the formula kind of book um, for the company who puts out these books on whatever all the different subjects are, hire someone, you know, to do a book. So they may be pretty, but if you read the words, they're not written by someone passionate, you know, about that subject. So you look, uh, so what you tend to do on that is you find older books written, you know, a longer time ago, a hundred years ago, say. Um, and those books seem to be a little bit more passionate about the history or the natural science or whatever it is they're writing about. And if anybody wants a list of some of those, uh, would you be able to supply that? Or I know we well, can have that Well, I can tell on. you a website that okay. is done by year that is called Ambleside. A-M-B-L-E-S-I-D-E, online. There's no dots or dashes there. And I'm sorry, I'm going to say .org. It's possible it's .com. You can probably just uh, type it yeah, in the website. Yeah, you can Google that. It we'll is, look that uh, up and have that on our website, uh, it's the a website That is a list. It's basically a list of living books by year uh, and by category. So, you know, history and science would be pulled out from literature separate. But it's, it's a really good advanced uh, reading list. Uh, for children, so it's, and, and good older titles. Uh, you know, one of the things you need to be a little leery of in reading all this modern children's literature, uh, the vocabulary is very dumbed down. The values are not the same. Um, I'd be really careful about reading very many books where the hero is the child and they become the hero because they disobey authority. That seems to be a really modern trend in a lot of children's literature. Um, so you do have to be a little careful, and I tell people the easiest way to be careful is just read everything written before 1920, and you're good. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> before 1920. Well, we've talked about unit studies, and that sounds a lot of fun, and elementary kids, what's sad, uh, just kind of, a, kind of as an aside, sometimes you'll see children, they'll go to school, uh, traditional classroom, they'll begin, and they just love, they're so excited to go and learn, and in the two, three, four years, they hate it. Right. So this unit study idea and living books sound a great way for right. elementary, preschool kind of years. Can you, however, incorporate these two approaches with whole curriculum or other sure. kind of I thing? I use a real eclectic approach in what I do. I There's lots, you know, to me it would be too contrived to try to come up with a math lesson to go with every unit study I'm doing that would hit exactly where my child needs to be in math. That yeah. would just be more work than I would be willing to do. <laughs> I love a good, solid math curriculum uh, and a good, solid spelling curriculum um, and, and, a good, and a good reader, <laughs> you know, Absolutely. in those first two or three grades. Um, so that you've got, and again, that goes back to that little bit of structure that kids need, you know, some structure they need to know they've got to do a page in their math book and we've got to do whatever it is we're going to do in spelling today and we've got to read, you know, three or four pages in our reader. But then, once we've gotten the stuff done, you know, that, that is our duty to do, this is part of instilling in them that there is a daily duty to life. 
whether you really enjoy it or not. I mean, we can't make every single thing they do in their life fun. That's true. And it's not our job to. Part of it is to show them that, okay, you may not like doing math. Now, if there's true frustration and tears, then you're trying to have them do something that is too hard. Most kids enjoy learning at their ability level. Uh, So either you've got a bad attitude that's caused them to feel bad about this, or you really are trying to have them do something that's too hard. So you, you back up then. Uh, and all moms hit that at some point. You know, some kid comes to them in tears and you didn't know you were having them do something too hard, but fi- finally it's apparent, you know. Uh, then you, that again, the flexibility of homeschooling, you adjust that. But yes, there is definitely places for uh, curriculum. I use history curriculum, even though I do history unit studies, because I want, I don't know history that well. I need somebody who's researched all this out and, and knows the best, uh, formula and direction to teach it as my, I call it my spine, my backbone. Yeah. Uh, that So we, we read that, or I use it, usually we just read it, uh, as our core, and then we do all the units, say stuff, we write papers about it, we make sure all of our literature is uh, biographies and historical fiction related to that time, our hands-on activities that go with that. You know, I pull in all the other music and art, you know, and all those things, related to that thing in history, so that all those things fit together as a unit. That's the reason we call it unit studies. Yep. But I'm not going to try to make my spelling list, you know, match that. <laughs> Vocabulary, yes, because, you know, you're learning all those words that go with what you're studying. But some things that just make sense to use good, strong curriculum and to let that be part of your structured part of your day. So you've got both structure and flexibility and making it fun. We've got to take a break here. We'll come back with Misty Spinelli here on the Homeschool Show and talk more about some of these approaches to homeschooling in preschool and elementary. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Homeschool Show. Don't forget, if you ever want to contact us, listen to our previous shows, or ask any questions of our experts, you can do so on the web at thehomeschoolshow.net. Today we're talking with Misty Spinelli about homeschooling in the preschool and elementary years. And Misty, in our last segment, we were uh, talking about unit studies, uh, living books, and uh, able to incorporate that with whole curriculum to make it fun, to instill this love of learning and uh, uh, get the expectations up, but not uh, too high because the world's expectations may not be correct. But, you know, a lot of people today are trying to use paper workbooks and uh, the computer together and bypassing those fun things, unit studies, living books, and the whole curriculum all together. What's your take on those things? Well, I think that if you if school to a child is just a stack of workbooks and or textbooks to read. That's boring. It's like a to-do list. Do this page, done with that. Do this page, done with that. Nothing relates to anything. It's, it's just like once I get through with this pile of work, drudgery work, then I get to go play and I get to go live my life. It really sets learning as something that's not part of life. And it's a boring, mundane, not fun thing. And really, you know, one of the things modern society has done as a detriment to all of us is to take away what used to be instilled in our ancestors that God put us on the planet to work and that work was good. Our modern society teaches that play and entertainment are what your life should be about. And the only reason you work is to obtain those. That's called hedonism. Yes. And so if you make school work... (laughs) and not fun, you're almost setting your child up for that opinion of life Mm. from the get-go. If you get the schoolwork done, then you get to go play, and that's the good thing. Mm. So you want to really incorporate learning in your entire day in a fun way. Really, Uh, what you're trying to do is you're trying to instill that love of learning, but that prepares the child, doesn't it, for the future? Of course. And that whole attitude is that, I want to do something in my work that's fun and enjoyable to the glory right. of God. And so yes, you, be- exactly. you begin in the early elementary exactly. instilling that attitude. Well, And the computer 
Twitter has become just so prevalent in everyone's households these days. Yeah. And so a lot of people are even turning to courses on the computer, not necessarily taught where you're like in a classroom, but just boring workbook pages, but they're on the computer instead of on a book in front of you. And the child just sits and looks at a computer monitor all day long. Mm. And I really, really think that that is detrimental to the child in a lot of ways. And and I don't want to sound ugly in any way, but the younger generation of moms that I'm meeting, they spend an inordinate amount of time on the computer instead of interacting with their children. They blog about homeschooling and they tweet and they Facebook and they, they spend all this time, but they're not right there. Like we said, remember when I said that that one philosophy about no expectations educationally on your child until they're eight, what he was saying to do was to work side by side with your child and play side by side with your child. It's the interaction between the child and the adult that causes so much learning Interaction with a workbook page and interaction with a computer screen, eh, not so much. <laughs> and you know, really, that idea fits in what we're talking about here, interacting as well. And that fits in with the biblical mandate that we have for educating our children is that parents are to be actively teaching by example and by precept daily, in and out, throughout everything, right. in every aspect. And exactly. it seems to me that, as you've been talking here, that workbooks and computer may be helpful in a few cases, but they should be uh-huh. really supplemental to unit studies, to the living right. books you talked about, to the whole curriculum things. Right. Uh, are there other approaches that uh, sure. would be better used than the workbook and computer all the time? Well, there's one that a lot of people have heard of that it's called classical education. A lot of people have a negative connotation of that when they hear it because they think that is very book-oriented and overly structured and everything. But the thing is, if you really read some good books on education that talk about classical education, there is, as you say, in the Bible, a mandate for us to do the hard work of educating. And the thing that classical does a little bit differently than everybody else is it really takes advantage of what quick brains your children have at these years. And the main difference is they do a lot of memorization while they're young, and it will really keep with them for life. And there's really nothing wrong with that. I mean, when I said I've start, you know, been teaching Helena her ABCs and the sounds they make and her numbers and everything since she was two or three, that's basically what I'm doing is taking advantage of that concept of we can do it in a fun way. You don't have to do it in a horrid way. You do it fun. But you, your emphasis is I really want to have them have this memorized and just part of them, even if they don't get it quite yet. Because, man, I mean, I can tell you working with middle schoolers that I did not do this to. If you don't have your multiplication tables down when you hit fractions, oh, forget you can't it. do them. Oh, wow. <laughs> forget it. Even if they totally get the concept of fractions. You know, and I was always big on concepts. Concepts are more important. The facts will come later. Classical education says, no, 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 it's the other way around. You get the facts in there. From the facts, they will understand the concept. I always thought that sounded a little hokey, but now that I have everything from 4 to 16 in my house, I can see how the people who have things memorized have it so much easier in life. And a lot of good classical curriculum uses lots of living books. So you'll notice good educational philosophies have a lot of things overlapping. I see that. In well, the we, things that they do. One other thing you mentioned uh, earlier was called the work box system. Sue Patrick has made this. Um, I'm not familiar with it, but go ahead. Yeah, it's uh, basically taking 12 shoe boxes, putting them on a little shoe rack like you put in your closet so that your kids can see them and putting their work in it for each day. And it actually works with any philosophy. I'm still in very unit studies and very living books oriented. And so lots of our books have books in it or a note that says, here's our unit study. But what it allows you to do when you've got a lot of kids like me is everybody takes box one and does what's in it and they know what to do and they know they can come and ask you if they've got questions, but it keeps everybody on task. They know when they're done. I always put something sort of fun down in that last box. <laughs> 
to work towards, I can put them in the order that makes sense for that child. Charlotte Mason says, do the thing they hate the worst first and the thing they love the best next. <laughs> well, that really uh, does sound like fun. Yeah, and so it has allowed me to get a lot more schoolwork done in my day and my kids to know when their school day's done. That used to be a problem with us. They'd go, are we done? And I still have all these things in my head I still wanted to do, but I couldn't do them right now because I've still been spelling with this child or I still had something to read to this person, but I still had something else I wanted you to do, but I couldn't quite get to it yet, you know, and so it left my kids sort of hanging. Now they can take a lot more responsibility for what it is they've got to do, and they can go, look, Mom, I'm done except for these two books you want to do with me, so I'm ready for that whenever. That's tremendous. <laughs> yeah. that, that does give the children some, uh, some closing or something to the end yes. of the day. Well, and Sue has a website, workboxsystems.com, uh, if somebody wants to get information on that. We'll put that on our website. Uh, Misty, that's all we have time for. Thank you for sharing all that with us. We'll have to have you come back and talk more about uh, maybe the later years of homeschooling. Sure. Uh, Don't forget, folks, if you're listening today online or live or on the podcast, you can always visit us on the web at thehomeschoolshow.net. Please read our blog, listen to our podcast, ask an expert like Misty. Join us next time, would you please, as we again look at home education and all of life through the prism of God's Word here on The Homeschool Show.